be a great help if you've got 1 Corinthians 15 open in front of you. And uh, as you'll have uh, spotted from the reading earlier, this uh, sermon is about resurrection bodies. How's your current body feeling today? Uh, is it feeling uh, fresh and vigorous? Or are you feeling your age? Maybe a few aches and pains. Maybe you uh, could have done with a bit more stretching this morning. We're told, aren't we, that you only live once. uh, So we're anxious not to miss out. People uh, put the hashtag YOLO, don't they? Uh, You only live once, so get on and do it. It's uh, usually an an excuse for being incredibly selfish, isn't it? (laughs) I need all the the, uh, pleasures I can possibly cram into this life because I only get the one. This is my only chance for pleasure and experiences, so uh, give it to me now. When uh, Leo Tolstoy was 50, uh, the the writer of War and Peace, uh, he realized that he was getting old, and he took it very badly. Uh, He was a decorated war hero. He had earned a fortune, well, he inherited a fortune, and then he wrote War and Peace and a few other novels, and, and earned a fortune as well. He uh, was uh, celebrated by the most uh, by, by all the intelligentsia of Russia and Europe. He travelled the world. Um, he was uh, celebrated as a great intellect, and was already raising seven of his thirteen children. He was living a big life, but when he considered the inevitability of his death, he. Everything that he'd accomplished and everything he ever could accomplish seemed utterly meaningless. That after he died, after a few generations, even his ancestors would forget about him, the world would forget about him and nobody would care. Uh, His friends kept sharp implements away from him, wouldn't wouldn't allow him to come shooting with them anymore for fear that the temptation of a quick exit would be too much for him. For... A year or two, he couldn't do anything because it all seemed so utterly futile until he found Christ. Look, if this life was all there there is, Leo Tolstoy in his earlier belief, he's hard to argue with, isn't he? If, If this world is all there is and, you know, whether you fill your life with good deeds and love for other people or or spend your entire life ripping people off and murdering anyone you can get away with. And then actually, if we all end up six feet under, then what difference does it really make anyway? If this life is all there is, then have a look at the end of verse 32. Um, Sorry, finding the spot. Uh, uh, what, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Or in other words, YOLO. <laughs> the point of uh, this evening's passage is so that you know that labouring for the Lord's is not in vain. Um, you see, if, uh, if we all live thinking, look, I just need to, uh, to write an ambitious bucket list and tick off as many of those experiences as I possibly can, uh, then this world has no hope, does it? The world desperately needs hope-filled people. 
People who will give themselves sacrificially, who will volunteer when it's tough, who will foster the damaged child, forgive the nasty neighbour, who will go the extra mile at work, will be faithful to their spouse and children when it's hard and stand up for what's right. We need to hear verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Chapter 15 has been dealing with some people in Corinth who didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. They thought that if there was life after death, it would be something ethereal, soulish. Um, like one of those cartoons where the spirits of the dead, uh, you know, every now and again you get Tom and Jerry kind of a bit transparent, sitting on a cloud in a nighty, plucking a harp with wings. And, uh, uh, you know, it, you wonder... Why would that be some great hope? And so they ask this mocking question. I mean, the, the, the Greeks, they thought that um, the body was something grubby and inferior. It's uh, the, the spiritual and the, the mental. That's, where, that, that's what was good. So uh, you were thought of to be a better person if you were doing something using your spirit or your mind. If you were a priest or a lawyer, you were someone really holy. If you were, uh, if you were a farmer or if you were um, something else... A, a craftsman with your hand. There's something a bit, a bit grubby about that. And so for them, the idea of Jesus, the fact that God would come in a body was a problem for them, you know, with, with armpit hair and sweat glands. And uh, the, the idea that then having died, that he'd come back into his body, it seemed a complete disaster. And so they've got this mocking question in verse 35. Uh, but someone will ask... How are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? So they're asking, look, uh, where on earth are they going to get this body from? They've been put in the ground or in a tomb. They've, uh, uh, their flesh has rotted away. So why, why would they ever want that back? That decayed old rubbish. And I can distinctly remember being a pain in the neck to my Sunday school teacher. I know you might find this hard to believe, but I remember at Lakes, Lakeside Sunday School on a Sunday afternoon, uh, she was teaching us about our resurrection, that our bodies will be raised. And I wasn't trying to be annoying, but I was just really eager to make the other kids laugh. And uh, so I kept asking silly questions. How old will we be in the new creation? Will babies be tiny and floppy forever? Uh, will really old people stay really old forever? What about if you died in a fire and there was nothing left of your body? What if you were eaten by a cannibal and your body was digested and became part of their body and then that cannibal became a Christian too and so your body is raised and their body is raised but actually part of the, part of the body is the same body. What, what's going to happen? And uh, you, see, you can see I was delightful. So if you're watching, I've looked at her normal seat and she's not here, but if you're watching online, I'm really, really sorry. Um, Look, some of the Corinthians are asking similar questions. Just trying to stump those who are teaching what the Bible says. And Paul answers, well, in, in our version here it's in two words, but at the beginning of verse 36 in Greek it's, it's just one word. Fools. Actually, sorry, just, it's the singular, it's just fool. What a fool. That's his verdict on Sunday school me. 
He says, look, life begins at death. Verse 36, how foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you don't plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined. And to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. People started circumnavigating the planets in the 1500s, didn't they? In boats made of oak. Now, I know this is going to take a bit of imagination, but just try to, hypothetically, can you imagine uh, telling someone this if they had no experience of trees? Never seen a tree in their life, but they had seen acorns. And you show them a pocket full of acorns and you say, look, this, this kind of dies, it goes in the ground and it grows into something else. It has a new life. And then when it gets really big, you chop it down and you, you can cut it into flat boards and you can make boats out of that. And you could sail around the world. You could cross the Pacific in a bunch of these. And it would be very confusing, wouldn't it? You might ask, how old is the acorn when it becomes a tree? You know, it's, you know, they start off green and shiny, don't they? And then they end up kind of brown and shriveled. And which, which one is it like in its new life as a tree? So, well, no, it's, it's not really like either. It's, it's something else. It's something altogether more glorious and grand. Death and burial are not the end for an acorn. And it is the beginning of a much greater and more vibrant kind of life. And death is not the end of a believer either. It is the beginning of what we were originally created to be. As humanity, we have fallen short of the glory of God, but God has promised that he will glorify Christ's people. He will give us a life much brighter and more glorious. So much brighter and more glorious that this life that we experience now, from the perspective of the Garden of Eden, was referred to as death. What we will be is connected to what we are, just as the oak has something in common with the acorn. The same, but very different. As different from us now, as are the other aspects of creation that we know. So look at verse 39. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is of one kind and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. And star differs from star in splendor. So we're not the same, we are different there is a greater glory still to come. And he underlines this with a series of contrasts from verse 42 to 44. So, so will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. So if you are older than about 25, you will have noticed that when you play sports, you probably sweat a a bit. You, you might not have done so before, and now you do. There we go. Welcome to being a proper grown-up. And uh, you probably, if you look closely in the mirror, 
you will notice that there are some fine lines around your eyes. They didn't used to be there, but they're there now. And then you get a bit older and you don't need to look very closely at all. There they are. You find that to play sport, you've got to warm up. You used to be able to roll out of bed and play football straight away. That was uh, the, the joy of being on boys' camp or something like that. That's, that's what you do at about 7 o'clock in the morning. You can't do that now. You need, you need to stretch a bit. You need to come round. You need a mug of coffee. and uh, You need to, to, to warm up. Once, maybe you could have pulled an all-nighter to get your essay in and then gone out to a party the, the following evening uh, and got home late at night that night too. And now you'd be dead. <laughs> you can't do that. You're, you'd be an absolute wreck. You're exhausted. You're glad when plans get cancelled and you get to go to bed at nine. <laughs> Slowly, bit by bit, we are perishing, aren't we? My grandpa was my hero. He died in his late 90s. He'd been a, a keen sportsman. Uh, he'd spent his early 20s fighting the Nazis across North Africa and Italy. He married his forces' sweethearts and came home, designed and built his own house, raised four sons in it, became a Christian, ran his own building firm, built a, uh, bought a ruined old house, did it up, split it into flats, to, um, uh, one to live in, and then let out the others as, as a business in his retirement. He led one of the church home groups and used his skills in surveying and hospitality to bless his church, his family, and various charities in the city of Exeter where he lived. When my grandmother lost her sights in her 90s, he cared for her, developing domestic skills rare in a man of his generation. My grandmother predeceased him by a year, and when she died that last year, he was so unlike the grandpa that I was used to. He'd become so thin. He walked with a stoop. He was confused by grief. So different from the confident, strong, omnicompetent man that he had always been. Verse 43. It is sown in dishonour. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. A few weeks ago, I was chatting to a non-Christian man about the gospel uh, when he brought up heaven. And he told me, look, it's, it's not really an incentive, is it? I mean, why would we want to go and sit on a cloud and play a harp? And I had to explain to him that uh, the Bible nowhere talks about that as being heaven. It is the new creation, a place of rich food and being with God. It is a city, it is a community, it is life the way this world should have been. But all the more glorious because there is no sin, no curse, no death, no violence, no war. And we are with Christ that is the that it will in no way be a diminished version of this world. No, no, it'll be richer and more glorious by far. So much stronger and brighter. This word spirit sometimes gets misinterpreted by us, don't we? Imagine that there's a spiritual and bodily, that kind of Greek idea that the body is a bit kind of sad and rubbish and that spirit means kind of uh, 
being disembodied, as if you, you know, what, what would a spirit body be? You know, a disembodied body, <laughs> how does that work? No, the, the word spirit here is all about life, uh, breath. Uh, it's uh, vital, vibrant, lively. And, uh, and, and we will be like that because we share the family likeness of our parents. Have a look at verse 45. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. We're all descended from Adam. If this is a surprise to you, I'm, I'm sorry, that's true. And we all share in his sin and fallenness. Our life springs from his sinful, fallen life. And so that is why we are the stunted, dying creatures that we are. We, we share in his family likeness. But Christ is the last Adam. And he has lived the perfect life that nobody else has. He has paid the price that no one else can. The price not for his own sin, he had none, but for the sin of all his people all his spiritual descendants. Verse 46, the spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man, or the first Adam, was the dust of the earth. The second Adam, the second man, is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. That's all of us. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven, the resurrected uh, believers in their resurrected humanity. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. Well, what is that? What is the image of the heavenly man? Because now we're interested, aren't we? But what, what is our future? What does it look like? Well, we can read about the resurrection appearance of, of Jesus, and there's, there's something different about him then, isn't there? We, people didn't immediately recognize him, they, but that he, he was a little bit different. Uh, there were things that he could suddenly do that he wasn't in the habit of doing before. He could uh, turn up in locked rooms. He could uh, step out of Emmaus and into Jerusalem. He could do all kinds of strange things, but he was still flesh and blood. He could still walk by the lake. He could still cook up a beach barbecue breakfast. He could do all of those earthly, fun things that we enjoy. But he wasn't yet fully glorified, was he? He said that. In Revelation chapter 1, we have a view of him in his resurrection, resurrected, ascended glory. So Revelation chapter 1 verse 12 says this, uh, John turned around to, to see the voice that was, talk, that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash round his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, 
and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. Remember that from this morning. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look. I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Is that just Jesus, though? Is that just true of him and not true of the rest of us? Well, no. Remember Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, where Paul writes, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that what? They will be like his glorious body. And Paul should know he'd seen the risen, ascended, glorified Lord Jesus. C.S. Lewis get, uh, explains it in a very helpful section in, in The Weight of Glory. He writes, it is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another. All friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations. These are mortal and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is with but it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendours. So don't give up. Never think that your labour for the Lord is in vain. Here is your future. Here is the future of all your colleagues and all your neighbours, of all your family members. They are precious, eternally precious. Keep loving your enemies. Keep praying. Keep reminding yourself and your family of the gospel. Keep spurring on your fellow church members. They are precious. Keep loving. Keep forgiving. Keep doing whatever your hands find to do, labouring as if you are serving the Lord because you are. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, a life-giving spirit. So just as we have had to share the fallen humanity of the first Adam, so we'll have the privilege of sharing the glorified humanity of the last Adam. He welcomes us into his heavenly humanity, pours out his spirit on us, invites us to reign with him, to live here in a fallen world with hearts that now belong somewhere else, to live among Adam's lost children 
as members of the royal family of heaven. To show them what life is like in Christ's family and to invite them in. So if you ever find yourself plagued with regrets, as you see your strength diminish, ask yourself if acorns should regret their lost youth while their life as mighty oaks stretch out before you. We cannot receive heaven as we are any more than you can circumnavigate the globe on a pocket full of acorns. But the apostles are witnesses that Christ has gone ahead. He is the first fruits of our great harvest, the author and perfecter of our faith, and it is glorious. Verse 50, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying will, that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. I've been doing a bit of hospital chaplaincy during the pandemic. And uh, a few months ago, I met Mr. Evans. He's uh, a Pentecostal believer in his mid-80s. And I asked him how he was. And he told me all about his cancer, which had spread and was inoperable. Uh, and complicated by the fact that he was in his 80s and had a serious heart condition. He told me how much he missed his wife, who he'd lost a year earlier. And then he smiled at me and said... So, nothing that the resurrection won't fix. Verse 55. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. You see, that's the only thing that death has over us. Death is terrifying for the unbeliever. It should be terrifying for the unbeliever, because we go to meet we would go to meet our maker as people who have sinned through ignorance, through weakness, and through our own deliberate choice. And not in some subject, subjective way of just feeling guilty or, or, or not. No, God has given us his law. And it is a clear, objective standard that we have clearly, objectively fallen short of. Not just once or twice, but routinely. We are clearly condemned. So we go to meet the righteous judge who knows all the facts when we are clearly, unambiguously guilty and deserving of his wrath. So going to meet the righteous judge should be horrifying. But verse 57, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us the victory. Not he tells us how to get it. He has won the victory and he hands it over to us 
as a gift. He gives us the victory. The prize is there. It's ready. It's waiting. It is incorruptible. It cannot be snatched away. Nobody can come and take it out of Jesus' hands. It is unassailable. We can go there and he gives it to his people. He died on the cross in our place. He has risen with us. So now we are not, we don't need to live here with that pathetic neediness of just trying to snatch a bit more life before kicking the buckets. We, can't, we can pick up our cross instead as fulfilled people, as people for whom the Lord has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. We don't need to, you know, don't need to necessarily see the Great Barrier Reef. We'll see something better in glory. We don't necessarily need to do this or that. We'll, we'll, we, we can, if we get it, praise God, we can enjoy it. But if we don't, go and see the more glorious one. The, creation, the, the new heavens and the new earth that you can explore without sin, without, that is, its glory is undiminished. It is better by far. Instead, we can pick up our cross and die every day. Die to self, die to fear, die to sin, die to that neediness to do our best not to miss out. We can die to our regrets, so Christ instead can live in us. And death for us is only the gateway to a far greater glory. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for our champion, your son who won the victory and has given it to us through his grace. We thank you, therefore, that our labour in the Lord is never in vain. And Heavenly Father, we pray that we would never see it as anything else, Lord, that we would, uh, it would be our greatest joy to serve the King of Heaven, knowing that uh, uh, each day we are one day's march closer uh, to his country, to uh, uh, being with him, and then one day being raised from death, into bodies that are utterly glorious, to a world that is all that Eden could have been, a city that is perfect, in a community where nobody's love is eclipsed even slightly by selfishness or snobbery uh, or greed, but Lord, uh, uh, the heavenly Jerusalem, where we will love one another with unsinning hearts and we will love you with uh, a far greater intensity than we could ever be capable of here. Heavenly Father, may we long for that. May you increase our homesickness for it and may we do whatever we can to make sure that our church community is a just reflection of that glory, that we would live our lives here, confident, fulfilled, knowing that there is nothing that this world can give us that is a patch, that is even worth comparing with the glory that Christ has for us. Heavenly Father, would we fix our eyes on him and run with perseverance the race that you've set for us. For Jesus' honour and glory we pray. Amen. Let's sing our last hymn, Thine Be the Glory.
Now to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all forevermore. Amen.